<laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Just grab my notes. I'm ready to go. Yes, I brought the circus. Because it's a public holiday, I will be forgiven. Okay, so. Chuck all my stuff there for now. Hello, everyone. My name's Anna Van Stralen. Um, I'm a member of the church here. Um, I'm an elder, and that feels weird still. I'm a new elder. Thank you so much, Christy. Um, and I'm going to be bringing the word for you tonight, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited, actually. Probably too excited, but that's fine. Um, I just want to start by um, sharing a little something that God dropped into my heart while I was on the beach. Uh, and that was that I was collecting these little rainbow kelp shells. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're the ones that the beautiful... Um, Tasmanian Indigenous people make into little necklaces, uh, not little necklaces, that sounds patronising, <laughs> just gorgeous pieces of artwork. I would never be able to do that. Um, but I just love looking at them. So I was collecting them and um, enjoying them, but I had a handful, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be nice to have something to put them in, because I, I don't have enough for any more. And on the beach, there was a sardine can that came up about a minute later, and I went, oh, that's perfect. It was clean, just uh, blossom. And so I put my little shells in there, and I felt like God said to me, that's like us. I'm the shells, and you're the, you're the can. <laughs> and I just wanted to, um, to just share that it doesn't really matter how we preach the word. It doesn't matter if we use this or not. I'm, not. I'm not here to show off. I just thought I'd try something fun. But the point is that we're, you know, we're the can. We, we're the vessel that God chooses to share his word in when we bring it to you, not because the can matters very much, uh, but because it's the word inside. Uh, so I just want to uh, pray as I begin. Um, Lord, I just lift up my little tin can and I thank you for the word that I believe that you've put inside. And I just ask that uh, nothing would stop it from being shared the way that you want it to be shared and nothing would stop it from being received in its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, I would like to um, introduce my friend Ruth and welcome her up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and we're going to start by talking about something that's going to feel random, but later it will make sense. I want to talk about the Golden Gate in Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem has been in the news a lot of late, and it's not been good news. Um, and yeah, it's been pretty tough seeing what's going on there. Uh, and I wanted to share a little bit about uh, a particular place in Jerusalem uh, called the Golden Gate, or otherwise known as the East Gate, but I've never been there. So I thought, wouldn't it be great if I pulled on someone who could actually talk about it in a way uh, is, that is going to bear, shed a bit more light? Um, so first of all, why did you go? Uh, why did you decide that that's something that you would like to see? Well, from a really young age, my um, parents shared with me the stories of the Bible and obviously particularly Jesus. And um, some of the places were part of those stories that, um, well, all of the places in that part of the world were part of those stories. And so I guess I grew up with a love for that part of the world and for um, kind of the fascination of the real uh, existence of those incredible places and what they meant to me because of their connection to Jesus and all the 
um, I guess, the people that I had grown up learning from and um, uh, listening to the life stories of from the Bible. So it was kind of a lifelong dream that really hit me just as I became um, probably early 20s and just thought it's something I'm not just going to dream about, it's something I'm actually going to do. So uh, a couple of years after my husband and I were married, um, we decided to embark on this amazing trip and tour of the Holy Land. And uh, as part of that, Israel was included. Um, It also was including uh, Egypt and Jordan as well. Also lots of locations from Bible stories there. So we sort of followed the footsteps of Moses from Egypt right across to the Promised Land and ended up in Israel. And we spent some time in Jerusalem and whilst we were there, saw incredible sights, amazing um, places around the city and the particular one that, of course, we're looking at today is um, the Golden Gate. And Anna just asked me to talk about um, some of the the observations that I had from being there in that location. And I just have to say, it's a very long time ago, um, but the great thing about ancient cities is they're kind of the same for a long, long time. And I was there 23 years ago, but it's uh, predominantly still the same today. Because <laughs> I know Hannah's been there much more recently than me and maybe others as well have as well. Um, but I'm sure the places are virtually the same. Um, and so, yeah... There was a day where we went to this particular location and sat um, on some steps alongside the Golden Gate. And the Golden Gate's a very unique gate in that you cannot enter it and you cannot exit it. And the reason is is because it was sealed up several hundred years ago, um, the first time almost a thousand years ago, um, for many reasons, many of them political, and um, it has a significant meaning uh, in future prophecies and uh, it so it has a, um, a draw to many people pilgrims and tourists and um, archaeologists and, and many others and so sitting there on the steps next to the golden gate uh, it's first of all it's huge so sitting down and looking up it's like this massive height um, as are the walls of Jerusalem very impressive it was an incredibly hot day, but I would say that every day during that part of the year, which was sort of leading into their summer, um, was incredibly hot. It was about 40 to 45 degrees, um, extremely dry, uh, so no humidity. And sitting there looking straight ahead um, with the gate beside us was the Mount of Olives. So it's directly opposite the Mount of Olives and there's a valley in between the Kidron Valley, and today there is a road that runs through that valley. Um, So you stand there and see the Mount of Olives and cars going past in front of you as well. But it's relatively quiet compared to other parts of Jerusalem and other cities. That was something quite pleasant because to find a quiet space where you could take in the significance of the location and the moment was actually a bit rare. And when you travel to different parts of the world that are much more populated than where we live, that's quite a blessing to find those spaces. So whilst we uh, sat there, I was observing how 
the colours are extremely monotone, um, apart from some bushes and trees on the Mount of Olives uh, in front of it. The stone is extremely... Um, they call it Jerusalem stone and everything has to be made out of that same stone to keep the integrity of, of um, the ancient city and it's almost uh, like a pale, pale sandstone colour. Um, Anna asked me to mention the colours. And, um, and other observations that um, I was aware of was that right in front of us, directly in front of us, like if I'd stood up and stepped like one step off the steps, um, I was in a graveyard, an open graveyard, and it spanned quite a distance, and it almost comes up to the very gates. And um, there's really a specific reason why that's there, and uh, are you going to mention about that? I'll finish you up with mentioning why that's there. Yeah, sure. So when the... Um, when the gates were sealed off, it was because of the prophecy that the Messiah will return and come to um, the Mount of Olives and return through those gates, the east gates of Jerusalem, the Golden Gate. And um, so to, I guess, thwart that prophecy um, throughout history, it was sealed up and because that would uh, ideally stop the Messiah from entering and a graveyard was built because... No good rabbi would walk through a graveyard and be defiled. So that's why that exists there today. So that's why Jesus is never coming back. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruth. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, I don't need this anymore, I just realised. Um, could I pass this down to... Thanks. All right. I really appreciate somebody who was actually there talking about it because I feel like just reading out the Wikipedia page doesn't cut it. Um, so it's fantastic to be here to share this word. Um, I really believe that it's um, what God's laid on my heart. Um, there's a lot to be weary about in our world at the moment. Uh, whenever you turn on the news, you don't see uh, the lovely pictures of Israel that I got to see when my parents went like a minute ago. You know, now it's um, scenes of... of Terrible, terrible suffering um, to many, many people. Um, and then on the other side of things, you've got the Ukraine war. And then there's all of the raggedy feelings that we've been feeling after the referendum. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I need a hug <laughs> with all of this kind of stuff. It's, it's heavy and it's, um, it's a bit tough at the moment, I think, for a lot of people. A lot of people are feeling weary. And then Christmas is coming, and we go into Kmart, and we've got the Christmas trees, and so many, every year there's more Santas and there's less anything else. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but like, you know, the stockings are cute, fat little Santas, and there's snow globes with Santas in them, and it's all just a bit, you know, it's very Santa. And I think some people, and I, given the, you know, depending on the day, sometimes might walk through the Christmas aisle in Kmart and feel just a little bit weary. So I'd like to introduce this Christmas season and the thoughts that we might be having about it um, to us in a different framing today. I would like to suggest that we can be authentic and we can be living in the world that we are living in today, not a fantasy, the real world, and we can have joy and we can rejoice. Um, not because we're pushing ourselves to fake it, but because there really are true, real, deep, everlasting reasons to feel joy. Um, 
I want us to feel re- refreshed when we leave the room. And, um, and Lord, I really pray that we will. So this message is also about walls, and more specifically, bricked up walls. And I guess I should probably say stoned up walls, except that sounds worse. So I'm going to say bricks, and you'll know what I mean. Um, I'm talking about places that are shut, but they should be open. Um, Has it ever seemed like there's been a place that should be open in your life, but it is shut? There is nothing more real than that shutness when you're looking at it knowing that it should really be open, but it's not. So I'm going to actually start by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was Mary from the Christmas uh, narrative story. It's real. I feel weird about calling it a story, but, you know, it's her cousin. And I'm going to start with them because they weren't in the bit that was gathering momentum and deeply exciting yet. They were in the bit that would have still felt a lot like day-to-day life. Um, They were a bit old. They were pretty normal. They were going about their business, doing their things. Uh, They were very good people, the Bible says. They were really upright. They were righteous people, but they were just pretty normal. And, um, And they had a prayer for God, and that prayer had probably been prayed for a long time, and they were feeling pretty weary about it. So the first door that I'm going to be talking about in this message, I'm going to be talking about three, and each one of them is a different metaphor Uh, that can help us to look at how we can rejoice through this Christmas message. The first door is Zechariah's door and Elizabeth's door. It's the story of God busting through a bricked-up door in their life. So I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, 5 to 25, taking a little gap and re-picking up the story where the Bible does with 57 to 66. You can find that in your Bibles, um, but I'm not going to be reading out the numbers anymore. It's going to be on the screen just for flow's sake. So in the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple, just means his turn, of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear, as you would be. That's my injection. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. See, he's being a bit nicer to her than he was to him, which is good. That's good. Okay, so I'm going to put that down. So the problem with Zechariah and Elizabeth was the blocked doorway of their age. The time for having a baby was gone. It was over. And they were too old, and they knew it. When Zechariah is visited by an angel, 
Zechariah looks at the angel and he says to the angel, how will I know for sure? The angel that had come to him from God telling him what God said. I don't know what else they've got. (laughs) What's bigger than an angel as a sign? But I do feel for Zechariah because I wonder what makes a man ask an angel for a sign. (laughs) If Zechariah is anything like me, I suspect he was tired of hoping for this thing that the angel was offering. He was tired and weary and he couldn't see how it was going to work and he just wasn't along for the ride yet. And that was the same for an angel as it would have been for a person encouraging him. He didn't have it in him. He was weary. And so I suspect he was too afraid of disappointment to begin hoping again. Now, I was reading a comment on a YouTube video because that's a lot of what I do. And um, somebody said, isn't it funny how God stopped making miracles when people invented cameras? And then somebody else sassed back again Uh, And then it deteriorated from there, but we'll stop there. And they said, he still is, you just wouldn't believe it even if you saw the video. And I thought that was a pretty good call. So the angel said, I am Gabriel. You may have heard of me. I stand in the presence of God. I added that bit, of course. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple, and when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realised he'd seen a vision in the temple because he kept making signs to them, but he was unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he went home, And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favour and taken away my disgrace among the people. The next bricked-up doorway in this story is Zechariah's mouth. It's not the... uh, It's actually... It's not the second door that I'm talking about. It's just a continuation. Sorry, I changed things. (laughs) Um, But his mouth is closed. It could be easy to see this as a punishment... That, you know, if you can't say anything nice, you don't have to say anything at all. Um, But I actually want to reframe it. What if it was the sign? Every time Zechariah would have tried to speak but couldn't, what would he be thinking about? He wouldn't be talking about whether or not he could really believe that it was going to be happening. He wouldn't be ruminating about what on earth that they were going to do with old people with a baby. He wasn't going to be talking about any of the particulars. He was going to be thinking, gee, I hope that this thing comes through because otherwise I'm never going to be able to talk again. He was going to be leaning in to that time that the angel had said and wouldn't it have sharpened the mind if you had nothing to do but just listen and remember and wonder about when it was going to happen and feel confident that it would because you couldn't speak, which is a pretty good daily sign. So instead of actually dwelling and ruminating on his fears, he was, he was ruminating on the promise, ruminating on what the angel said. So rather than going, oh, did that really happen? Because no one else saw it. He was going, well, that definitely happened and it better have happened because that's my hope of being able to chat again. So on the eighth day, oh, sorry, it said, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after their father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Now, does anyone have a relative called John? I think it's probably the last time that anyone was surprised at someone being called John. (laughs) I have an uncle, John Fraser, and Jade has an uncle, John Fraser, that's my husband, and they are not the same John. (laughs) That's just an aside. This was in the olden days. (laughs) Okay, so they said that's not a family name. And uh, they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And then immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbours were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. And everyone heard this, wondering about it, asked, who then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. What was he going to be? Who? He was going to be John. He was going to be the voice calling in the wilderness, calling out to prepare the way for Jesus. He was going to be the one pointing to the Messiah, saying, here he is. And he was going to be helping to prepare God's people to be ready for the Messiah, who has finally come. And it was a pretty amazing thing. So God's rescue mission was being put in place, not just by Mary and Joseph and the people in the core story, but by everybody. Everybody was at that time, just like they are now, part of his story. And they're all amazing. They're all encouraging. They're all wonderful. And they all contain miracles. Sometimes we just forget about them because we're too busy talking and not remembering what God has done for us. So back to the Golden Gate. According to Jewish tradition, it's the gate that the Messiah would one day come to Jerusalem through. And there are some, quite a few people, who are still waiting for him to come through. And now it looks worse than ever because it's blocked up and there's a cemetery and it's becoming less and less like the door that it once was, less and less able to be walked through. It looks pretty grim if you're really hoping that somebody could ride through there in triumph. How could a Jewish Messiah really want to walk through graves, which would make him, um, uh, you know, potentially unclean through a door which is turned into a wall? So now I want to talk about the second door, the blocked doors in our lives. Ask, and it will be given to you, it says in Matthew 7, 7. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We can rejoice at Christmas time, even with our blocked doors still blocked. We can look out through the tiny little window of our lives, and we can still not know the big picture, we might not know everything that God's doing, and we can even praise if our circumstances are humdrum or really really bad. We can get up in the morning celebrating because Jesus came to us. He was the flourishing, winning move in God's plan to reach us. You see, we can rejoice because whatever we're going through, he can save us. He has paid for our sins. And although we might not understand the timing, he's with us. He's loving us. And he's unable to be kept away from us by anyone in this world. Because you see, God's, God came 
Jesus came. He went through the gate. He rode the donkey. He did it. The bricks were too late. And so it's all done now. You know, we may not be seeing it, but, you know, the enemy bricks up the gates in our life way too late. He doesn't realize that it is absolutely pointless. If you have a blocked up door in your life, it may seem like it's too late, but God went through a long time ago. He went through and opened that door in your life long before you were born or your parents were born or their parents were born. The enemy still thinks he has you over a barrel, but Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done to make sure that at the right time, no sooner, no later, it will come open and you will be fine. So what do we do if that doesn't feel real? Because like Zechariah, we might be like, okay, hearing the word, not receiving it, feeling bad, feeling tired, feeling weary. Well, first of all, what we can learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth is we can pray and we can wait actively because Zechariah and Elizabeth were active listeners and active waiters. They, they prayed, they asked for the thing that they were really hoping that God would do in their life, but then they went around their everyday life, they were eating, they were sleeping, they were doing God's work, they were waiting, but they were waiting really, really well. And in every day, they were just doing life and they were okay. You know, they weren't lying down and throwing a tantrum and saying, I'm going to serve you, God, when you come through for me. They were serving God already and they were just living a good life. And a good life doesn't have to be one where we're leaning into a miracle, pushing on the thing that we don't have yet until we're in tears. Sometimes it's just going, God, you've got this. Your job is the miracles. Your job is the breakthrough. My job is making sure that everyone's fed or making sure my hair's brushed and maybe my teeth are brushed. And when I go out, I do my best to serve you in the day. That's a good life. That's a good life. We can keep our eyes open and our mouth shut. Zechariah was quiet and it wasn't on purpose, but we can do it on purpose. And I know it kind of feels wrong to say it might just be time to... (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes it's great to just close our mouths for a minute when we've got a promise that God's given us. And always remember, if you've got a promise coming through by the Holy Spirit, because we've got the Word, which is full of promises, that's a great place to start and we should keep coming back there over and over again. But the Spirit speaks. And if you have got a Word from the Holy Spirit... Talk to a wise person. Talk to a Christian who you really trust, and they can help confirm that. It always will go with the Bible. You'll never get a word that that says something the Bible um, doesn't corroborate. So that's just an aside. But if you've got something like that that you think God said, you've had confirmation, and you're waiting, then we can be quiet and we can dwell on the thing that God has said, and we can know that really well rather than knowing our fears. Our fears come up unbidden. They'll, They'll jump on us in the night sometimes, and that's okay. We don't need to memorize them. We don't need to tell them to everybody and their dog. We don't need to tell them to the lady that's dooting at the grocery. Sometimes we can just forget about them while we're listening to what God said to us and waiting and leaning in. And the more we think about it, the more it will reaffirm that one, it happened, and two, it is going to be fulfilled because God doesn't renege his promises. Sometimes they just take time. So... Zach and Elizabeth were thankful. When God gave them a son, that was an amazingly joyful time for them. They loved John. He was wonderful for their family. That was a really awesome thing, but it was a side effect of God's plan. It wasn't the plan itself to bring them joy. It's just the fact that God's plan 
is also what brings us joy. He's so good for us. So when we share and rejoice, other people get to hear what God has done in us, and it breeds joy in them. And we can also learn that when we listen to other people's thankfulness, we can catch their thankfulness. We can catch their rejoicing. Sometimes our door is going to take a long time. Are you going to wait 50 years and then the thing happens, but you've been a grumble bum the whole time and you haven't been rejoicing? Or you can rejoice with everybody else around you. It can build your faith. And then when the thing comes, you've been busy this whole time having a lovely, rejoicing, God-filled life. It doesn't mean it will be easy, but it doesn't mean it has to be horrible. We can encourage each other. We can celebrate when God comes through for one another because we remember when he comes through for you, that also means that he's going to come through for me. So going back to that big gate in, in Jerusalem, this, that symbolizes a really big story. Jesus went through the gate, got bricked up too late, and now nothing can stop him on earth. He will do it in his time and he will do it his way, but there's nothing that's not going to come crashing down that shouldn't come crashing down, right? So Jesus didn't just come to help us with our blocked doors, although he certainly can, and we can trust him whenever we ask for help. You can't block a door that Jesus wants to use. But the thing is, I'm going to go straight to, because I'm running out of time, I'm going to go straight to John 10, 9 to 10. And he says, give me a second. Pretty simple stuff. He says, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We can rejoice because we're friends with the Saviour who is not blocked by anything he is our way through everything. He is the freedom we carry with us no matter what circumstance has us in. We cannot be blocked. We cannot be trapped or captive because when we know in the end, sooner or later, Jesus is going to be the way through, we're not stuck. And if that is the case, then we can rejoice wherever we are because suddenly he is our portal to rejoicing. He is our portal to peace and our portal to grace no matter where we find ourselves. It doesn't matter anymore. Our map is Jesus. Our way is Jesus. Our door is Jesus. So remember, pray. If you haven't the thing that you need, pray for it. Close your mouth to fear and open your eyes to his promises. You can open your mouth when God answers with praise and you can tell others how he has made a way for you to rejoice and that will help them in their walk to rejoice. Thank you very much. Pass over to the worship team. And I'll move my junk. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Anna. Why don't you stand and join me?